Good morning. It's really good to be here with you all. Great to see some familiar faces, many of you, different times, been able to cross paths, and it's really a blessing to have the opportunity to come share the word. And um, I love Pastor Jeff, Sister Rose, you all have been a blessing to me over the years, so it's been a, they've, they've really been encouragement. I know you already know this as a church, but you've got a wonderful pastor and pastor's wife that love Jesus and just want his glory to be manifested here in this area, and so it's a great body to be a part of. Um, I want to share just a few things. I've got a lot on my heart this morning, and I just want to uh, share a little bit about where I'm at, um, because I've been kind of on this crazy adventure with the Lord uh, since I went through Pure Life. Um, I went through in 2011, and um, shortly after that, the Lord began speaking to me, this is about eight, nine years ago, about uh, traveling ministry and doors that would be opening, and um, for few years, we kind of were just talking and praying about it. The Lord gave me some confirmation in 2016. Um, it was pretty, uh, a pretty crazy story. And then um, we formed Makeway Ministries as a nonprofit back in 2019 just to have a kind of a foundation. We got a board of directors together and um, have just been on this weird journey of going. We, we transitioned to one church. I was full-time associate one, and I went to another church. And I'm just kind of waiting on the Lord's direction for what's going on. And um, it was back in May of this last year, uh, I was at a minister's conference up in Ohio, and, and I was sharing with a missionary friend of mine from Peru, um, just kind of what God had put on my heart, and he said, well, well, let's pray together, let me pray for you. And so we began to pray, and um, you know, we were from a Pentecostal, we're Assembly of God people, so he starts praying in tongues, and he pauses, and he said, this is the strangest thing, he said, I don't think this has ever happened to me before, he said, but I feel like I just gave you a message in tongues, and God said that you need to get the interpretation. And I was like, okay, thanks for that. You know, you know, I was like, I've, I've interpreted tongues a couple times in my life, but it's not a gift that I function frequently. But I was driving home, um, and I got close to our house, and I, I was just praying and seeking the Lord. I said, Lord, was there something you want to share with me? Because obviously I want to know. And I just felt like he said to me, um, there's, a, there's a transition coming in your ministry, and you need to prepare for a new season. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know exactly what that means. And it was kind of what I wanted to hear. But I thought, you know, okay, we'll just see if that's the Lord. And about two weeks later, I was in service at our home church. A friend of mine named John that sits on the front row, he came over during worship. He puts his arm around me. We're worshiping together. He's never done this before. And he turned to me. He said, I just felt like the Lord told me to come over here and share with you that there's a transition coming to your ministry and you need to prepare for a new season. And two seconds later, there's a lady named Betty, two seats behind me. She tapped me on the shoulder and she said, I don't know what John just told you, but the Holy Spirit told me to come over here and tell you there's a change coming to your season. There's a new season of ministry. You need to prepare for it, and it'll be for your good. And so I was like, okay, Lord, I, get, like, I guess I get it, you know, like something's going to happen. So a lot of things happened over the next few months. We started, uh, we, we simplified our life as much as we could, just preparing, not knowing exactly where we're going. And I did a ministry trip to Brazil um, to work with Pure Life uh, Brazil, their ministry that they started down there um, back in October. And it was a really busy season. I didn't have, honestly, I didn't go with a whole lot of expectation. I was kind of trying to survive. Uh, about two days before I left, they told me, they originally told me they probably wouldn't have a lot of services. And two days before I left, they basically told me, you're preaching every day for about 14 days. And here's the topics that the churches want. It was like real specific. You've got to preach this here and this. And so I was like kind of overwhelmed. And I thought, Lord, if you don't show up, I'm in trouble because I can't do all this. So I went over to Brazil. Um, had some amazing services. We saw God show up. We had uh, 
There was a church there. I was there for three nights. We saw kids getting saved, people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. We saw people falling on their knees, crying out to God in repentance. It was a really beautiful time. And I did a, a four-day biblical counseling um, uh, conference uh, with Pure Life Brazil. It was their first annual conference that they're trying to start down there. And on the last day, one of the pastors, I had just shaken his hand. Hardly anyone speaks English, so I don't know Portuguese, so I wasn't able to communicate except through a translator. But he comes with this paper that he had written in Portuguese and this really nice men's watch. And he hands it to me. He said, this is you know, for you through the translator. So I had my translator translated, and he gave me this word from the Lord he felt like for me. That he didn't know anything about me, but he said, um, essentially, that there's a transition coming. God's getting ready to move you into a new season. And he gave me this real specific word. He said, I see you like Moses on a mountain for 40 days. There's going to be a time of consecration be, uh, between you and the Lord, and God's going to give you this Moses-type anointing, whatever. And he said, this men's watch is really important to me, but I'm giving it to you because God's saying it's time, and there's urgency. You need to go. And that was in one town, you know, in this little countryside. And that night I went and preached at a charismatic church. We, I preached to their youth. We saw a God show up again and, and touched a lot of lives of young people. And this woman came to me after the service. She said, I'm from Bolivia, um, but I, I li- I've been living at a ministry school in North Carolina. And she said, I've never, I haven't been to Brazil in eight years. But I felt like the Lord told me to buy a one-way ticket to come to Brazil. And I've been connected to this church, so I came to hear you speak. And she said, can I pray for you? And I said, well, that's, of course, you know, you can pray for me. So we pray together. And she stops in the middle of her prayer, and she says, I just want to tell you, I feel like there's a 180-degree shift coming into your ministry. She said, I see you like Moses on a mountain for 40 days seeking the Lord, and there's this period of consecration coming for you. And, 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 and almost word for word what that guy had written down. And it was so crazy. I was like, twilight zone. You know, I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? You know, so, so the next morning in the worship at that church, the Lord spoke to me directly and said, this is the season you've been waiting for the last eight years. You've been waiting for this. Now's the time to go. Don't hesitate. I'll provide what you need, but you need to go. And right after that, they, they had people gather up in, in groups, and um, the pastor came over, prayed with the, us, me, and the Pure Life staff. By the way, greetings from uh, Fred Gearman. He told me to greet the church because he was there with us. He was, he's a, it was, he was with me the whole journey, so he'll tell you this whole story. It was wild. So we get together in groups, and the pastor's there, and this lady I'd never met from their church who barely spoke any English, she's praying for us, and she stops and looks at me, and she says, the Lord's doing a re- very broken English, but she said, the Lord's doing a restructuring in your ministry, and there's change coming, and gave me the same word. I mean, it was like 11 confirmations in a row. So I came back like, okay, if I don't do something, I'm in trouble. You know, I'll be like Jonah running from the Lord. So I met with our ministry board. Um, they agreed to, to bring me on full-time. I've been working part-time for Make Way Ministries, and then I told our church, and today's actually the first day I'm working part-time at the church instead of full-time. And already the Lord's opened up. In the next two months, I'll be in four different states, and, um, and in Nicaragua in March. Um, a couple other, I'll be in a couple other countries, and I'm just on this wild faith journey of just like, we don't know where this is all going. So this is my first service, technically, as a full-time uh, working with the ministry. And I don't know what God has in store. When I told Pastor Steve... Uh, I shared the story with him. He said, well, the way I see it, probably for every one of those confirmations, there's a test coming for you. And I thought, it's probably true. Thanks for that, you know. But So I don't know what it all means. I don't know what God's doing exactly. I just know I want to be obedient to him. And uh, I'm really grateful to be able to, to be here with you. Um, a couple of resources that we're going to get into the message. I don't want to, I'm not going to wear you out today. Try not to. Uh, but I do uh, want to direct you, if you're interested, our, our website is packed with all kinds of articles about seeking the Lord, intimacy with God, and specifically we've got articles about living an evangelistic lifestyle on there. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. 
So if you haven't been on MakeWayMinistries.com, I'd invite you to go check it out. We've got, we're trying to make it a resource uh, for believers just to go and trying to add content. We've got video content. Um, also, if you're not on our email list, you would know because you'd get an email from me you know, every couple times a month or whatever. I'd love to be in, stay in contact so you can track along with what God's doing. Um, if, if the Lord would lay it on your heart and you're interested in talking about becoming a monthly supporter, we are raising our budget, and so we'd, we'd welcome that. Um, but also, there's a book there. I forgot to bring it up here, but there's a really, Sister Rose commented, this is a massive book that I wrote. It's a fiction story um, called Something Better. And that book I wrote intentionally to get the gospel into a fictional story that people who may not read a gospel track or don't read the Bible would actually read it and hear the transformation that God can do in a life. And so there's actually a gospel presentation written into the story. So because of that, we're trying to get the word out, and it's a great tool to give away. I give them away for people as gifts that I meet them on the streets and things. Um, we're making that half off, so that's only about 750 or whatever. So if you'd like a copy of that or several copies, feel free. But I want to pray because I know the Lord uh, gave me a message today that I want to share. At the end of the message, we're going to have some time of reflection and prayer, and then I'm going to get into some practical um, just things that I've seen God do. And I'm, I'm not a complicated evangelism style kind of person. I try to live just as simply as possible. And so I want you to walk out of here this morning with some ideas, inspiration, and practical tools that you can literally walk out the door and use. Um, because I think, I told Pastor Jeff, sometimes we just overcomplicate the gospel and we overcomplicate what it looks like to love people and share Jesus with them. And so we get so we get so focused on what it might be and we don't feel equipped, we don't actually do anything. And so I want you to, to have um, the encouragement. But I want to uh, pray, and we're going to get into the message this morning. Um, and the message is called, The World is Waiting on Us. Father, we have come before you this morning. We've already sensed your presence here in this place. And we thank you, Lord, that every time we come together as believers and, and we worship and we sing praises to your name, that your, your Holy Spirit, you come, Lord, you manifest yourself in a unique way. And we, we sense that here this morning, that you're here you're present with us, God. Father, I thank you for this, the, the, this body of believers that are here, God, and for what you've done over the years in their lives and how you've brought them all here at this season for this time, for such a time as this, Lord, in 2023, that this church would be um, a, a lighthouse, literally that, what they're, uh, that, that name, that prophetic uh, announcement of what this place is to be a lighthouse here in Dry Ridge, God, into the surrounding area, God. I, I just believe that you're doing that and that even this morning, God, you're going to take that witness and bring it to the next level, Lord, as you burden our hearts for the lost and, and equip us to go out and share Jesus with the world around us. And so I pray this morning you would anoint your word. God, I pray you would make it clear. Uh, don't let me get in the way, Lord. Speak what you want to speak. Anoint it, Lord, and let it impact our hearts, God. We didn't come here for just another church service, Lord. We didn't come here just so we could check it off our list and say we went to church this Sunday, God. We came here for an encounter with you. And to hear from you and to hear what your spirit has to say to your church. And so I pray for ears to hear and God for, for, for a heart to receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be all over the place as far as scriptures. So you, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot down. But if you're trying to follow along with me, you won't, you won't keep up. I'm going to be rattling off. So just a heads up. But I really came this morning with a, with a burdened heart for the lost. 
And, and I think, I was thinking during worship, if, if, if I don't know how God's mind works, what he thinks of, I don't know if he daydreams or what, you know, how that, how he, his personality works, but if there's something that's weighing on his heart this morning, I can guarantee it's lost souls. That that's what God cares about. Not that he cares about it more than you and I, but you and I are, we, you know, we're in his family. We've been brought in. And there's a whole world of people out there that, that have not experienced the, just what we've experienced this morning, the, the connection, the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit to, to be able to have peace and hope and, and beyond just this life, but, but hope that lasts forever. And so I think when we talk about this, it's really, it's kind of painful sometimes, and it's definitely uncomfortable for us as Christians to talk about this. But, you know, sometimes you experience bad pain, and like if you break your leg, that's bad pain. Your body will signify there's something wrong. There's a broken bone. But if you go to the doctor and they reset it, and they, that's going to be painful, but it's actually good pain because it's pain for our good. It, it brings us back into a place of health. And so I, I'm, I'm believing the Lord to help us experience good pain from Him this morning. Uh, the pain of, of what it looks like to, for the, the world outside. Um, and, and, you know, it's inconvenient sometimes for us. We we don't, we don't want our schedules and our lives disrupted, but I think sometimes we need shaken up by the Holy Spirit. We, we sung it this morning, stir us up, God. Stir us, we, I, I don't know about you, I don't want just dry religion. I don't want just a simple American Christian life. I want a life that has meaning and purpose and that makes an impact for Jesus in our generation. And so I, I want to share with you a few thoughts about the eternal destination of those who don't know Jesus, but especially our responsibility to reach them. So I don't know if you thought about this, but if the whole goal of the Christian life is for us to be born again, brought into the family of God, then how come when we're saved, we don't immediately get transported to heaven? It would be awesome. You know, you're like you're in service, you preach, and then people just disappear, and you're like, yes, they got it. You know, you kind of know like the truth from the fake. But why, why does God keep us here? Because he took Enoch, you know, supernaturally. He sent chariots to pick up Elijah. I mean, he could, if he just wanted us in heaven, then we could come to faith, be born again. In that moment, we could just go and enjoy eternity. Why, why be left here on the earth? And I think maybe there's different reasons. Obviously, to glorify him is part of it. But it's because there's other people out there who don't know Jesus. And we have a responsibility that he's handed over to us to share the light of Jesus Christ with the world around us. In fact, in Matthew 28, this will be a familiar passage for you, when he's, he's appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, he comes, the eleven disciples meet him there um, at Galilee at this mountain, and Jesus gives them this commandment, we call it the Great Commission in verse 18, Jesus said this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded in, to you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That was, that was something that he was telling. This is like the final, some of the final moments they had with Jesus. And they're, if they're, they're standing there like, okay, the, the crucifixion has happened, the resurrection, here's Jesus standing here. And he's like, oh, here, by the way, this is what you're supposed to do. Carry on the work, because there's nations of people out there who need to be discipled, and they need to hear the Word of God. And he hands them this enormous task that at that time is just a handful of disciples, and he's saying, go tell the entire world. And, of course, he's speaking in that context to that small group of, of disciples, but we understand that he, they, he wasn't stopping the work with them, that that work was beginning with them, and they were to carry it on. And we have, 2,000 years later, we've inherited that same commission. And the work is not done. 
If it was, the, all the nations would be glorifying the Lord. There'd be, you know, we'd be living in paradise. So as long as there's one soul left to be saved and to hear the gospel, that work is to continue. And I just believe that this is what God's plan A is to reach the world around us. His, his plan is the church. You and I who believe in Jesus Christ, His plan to reach them is us. And there isn't a plan B. There's, there's only one plan. God said, you go do it. You do the work. I'm going to anoint you. My Holy Spirit will be inside of you. I'm going to give you my words. But, but it's our responsibility to go out and to share um, Jesus Christ with people around us. Um, Leonard Ravenhill used to say that this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of lost souls. That, that we've got a responsibility that God has placed on us. And, and our time is, you know, if you look around at what's going on in the world, our time is not, we don't have much time left, I don't think. Um, I, I googled, I was doing some research, and I found something It maybe kind of sounds morbid, but there's a thing called the world death clock. You can Google it, and it, it, it calculates how, when, when somebody dies and that's recorded, it calculates for every second of, of existence um, how many people are dying. And they estimate there's about 56 million people a year that die, which is about 4.6 million per month, 153,000 each day. Um, each hour, 6,300. Every minute, 106 people. And every second, they calculate roughly right now about 1.8 people slip into eternity every second. Which means, you know, we'll be here for a little while in this room and listen to the message and worshiping. While we're sitting here over the next hour, uh, about 7,000 people are going to slip into eternity. And it's not something that we like to think about, but it's the reality of it. And if you really, if you look at the world around us, many of them are going to slip into eternity without Christ. And, you know, all of us, we, we love, I, I love knowing the Lord and we have our eternity set. But you and I, will, we will bump into somebody today. If we go to the grocery store, if you go, you know, to, to a restaurant after service, you go to Walmart, for, you're going to bump into people and God is going to put you in, in front of people who, if they don't know Jesus Christ, they're going to slip into eternity without Him. And the Bible doesn't have very many pleasant things to say about what that looks like. It, it, an eternity without the presence of God. Um, it, in Revelation 21, 8, it talks about a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, that people will go into a place of everlasting punishment. Second Thessalonians 1.9, Paul says that it's a place of everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Matthew 13.50 says it's a furnace of fire. Jesus said there there's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And in Mark 9.43, he calls the place, he says they'll, they'll go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. I know we don't have an, a way to understand what that really means. In our, and we don't like to think about it. And I don't know that thinking about it constantly is a very healthy thing. But it, sometimes we just need to pause and actually think about the reality of where people are headed. Where you and I were headed if Jesus had intervened in our lives. And, and a place where, where they'll never have hope. They'll never experience a moment of joy. That The presence of God is completely withdrawn. Everything that's good in this world that comes from the Lord will be absent in that place. And that's where... Thousands of people, millions of people go every single year. They slip into eternity. And without Jesus, that's where they'll end up. And you and I have the answer that they need to prevent them from going there. 
Paul talks about it in Romans 10. He says, how can people believe in the one in Jesus if they've not heard of him? And how can they hear of him if someone doesn't go and share the message? I mean, that's the model that, that people have to be able to hear the gospel and to respond and, and to be able to share. And it takes people opening their mouths and, and sharing Jesus with them. And that's how you and I, we, we, we came to believe. But the reality is, even, even with the reality of all that's going on, we know that, you know, we know about eternity. We know about heaven and hell. We know about the, 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 the place where unbelievers will go. The statistics show us that, that very few Christians are actually doing anything about that knowledge. About 10 years ago, they did a survey, um, and it's been about since 2012. I can't imagine things have changed a ton. But they surveyed a bunch of different believers, people who professed Christ, and said that, you know, we believe in Jesus. And 80% of those people said that they believed it was their personal responsibility to share their faith. But out of that same group of people, 61% of them had not done so in the previous six months. And the, the survey, what they, what they determined when they went through the end of the, the survey, they said, we, we determined that, there, that in the American church, that there's a high rate of failure between people's conviction and their action. That even though most of us would say, oh yeah, it's clearly my responsibility, I need to share Jesus with my neighbor, when they asked them, well, when, when was the last time you did that, they, they hadn't done it in over six months. And so, it, I think that's one of the great weaknesses of the American church. Um, not just in that area, but we say we need to pray, and then you have prayer meetings at the church and you get two people to show up. You say we need to read the Word of God, but people aren't doing it as much as they should. We, we say we have to do, you know, we know what our priorities should be. The Christian cliches, we, we could rattle them off. But when you really examine people's lives, we're not always, we're not making priorities what we say should be a priority. We're getting busy and distracted with all these other things, and sometimes good things. But what your priorities are really are shown by our actions more than our words. We're really good in the church at, you know, saying the right things, but when you, what we really do is what's really most important. And so over the years, I, I've thought a lot about this and, and, and have prayed about it and studied, but I've looked at the early church and what their lifestyle was, what their priorities were, what the disciples did. And I've noticed a big discrepancy between the way that they live their lives and the way that we live our lives typically in the average American church. Because back then, you know, discipleship was a lot more than, you know, a class. A lot of times in American church, it's like you go to like eight weeks discipleship, new believers, you know, and that's what you do. Or you read a book on discipleship, and that's good. I mean, we should do all those things. But you go through this like eight-week class, and then you kind of get dumped into the general population of the church. And the expectation of you know disciples is just you go to church on Sundays as much as you can, and you kind of you know you know you got to read the Bible, and that's about that's about the level of expectation. You can kind of just blend in. But in Jesus's day, discipleship was an entire overhaul of your life. They, uh, the, the Jewish, they had a system of education, and most of the young boys and girls would go to like the first level. But some of them would, would graduate from that and stay in the educational system, and they would move up these levels. I don't have time to get into detail. But eventually the goal of a young Jewish boy was to find a rabbi and to, to follow this rabbi and to learn how, not just learn information, but learn how to actually live like the rabbi. Um, it's different in, you know, modern education. You go to college. And the professor will give you lots of information and then test you on it. And as long as you test right and you know how to say the right things, then you, that you're qualified. With the Jewish rabbi system, you actually were supposed to, you're supposed to become like the rabbi in your lifestyle. You were supposed to talk like them and act like them, do the things that they did. It was, that's what you were signing up for. 
And when they followed Jesus, they, that's what the disciples were doing. They were literally leaving everything behind and be trying to become like Jesus. And I don't think that model was supposed to have changed over the last 2,000 years. It's still disciple, being a disciple of Jesus is still supposed to be a disciple of Jesus, not just, you know, a Christian that, that happens to be involved in church. And I understand, we know, we live in a different culture, of course. We live in a different time of period of history. I just don't think that what it looks like to be a disciple is supposed to look as different as it does um, in the average American church. Um, because the mission hasn't changed over 2,000 years. Yeah, culture changes and all that, but what we're supposed to be called to do is still the same. We still have the same commission. We still have the same calling. And so when I think about, you know, if you were an average person in, you know, Jerusalem during the time of the early church, if someone were to say, hey, what about this Paul guy? What do you think about him? What about Apollos or Aquila or, or Peter? Like, share what, what, what's important to them. And they began to share, well, here's what they're like. I wonder what they would say. You know, you kind of get a, a hint from it in the, in the scriptures. Like, what, kind of, what was important to the, the early church? And I wonder if they were to ask the same thing about me or any of us in this room. Well, what's really most important about Dustin? Would, they, would the description be the same? Because if not, I think there's a problem there because I think we're missing out on, on our calling and what we're supposed to do. And so what I want to do with the remainder of this message, I'm looking, there's three things specifically I see um, in the early church that I think that we're missing in the, in the New Testament, in the, in the modern day church, that, that if we can get these three things back, it's going to cause us to, to be better at fulfilling the Great Commission in our sphere of influence. And the first thing that I see that we're missing, and the most important, I think, is urgency. The definition of urgency is an importance requiring swift action. The early church, when you look at the scriptures, they lived with an intensity. They, they had an urgency about them because they really believed that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. They thought, you know, Jesus, they, they had walked with him. They had seen him. He had resurrected and he, he had appeared to them. And then he said, I'm going. Here's, here's the work. And they, 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 they knew two things. Number one, we've got work to do. We've got to get the gospel message out. Jesus has called us to do that. And number two, we better do it quickly because we don't have much time. And when you read the scriptures, it's not surprising because Jesus kind of set them up to, to believe that way. Um, for example, in Matthew 10:23, Jesus said, I say to you, you'll not have gone through all the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. In Matthew 16:28, he says, Assuredly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In Matthew 24, 33, he says, You also, when you see all these things, all these signs, know that it is near, it's at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away so all these things take place. Uh, throughout the scriptures, Jesus talks about, you know, he's, he's talking from a spiritual perspective about what he sees. And so, but the way that they're, they're looking for this king, they're waiting for Jesus to set up his earthly kingdom and overthrow Rome, kick Rome out, restore the nation, you know, Israel, the throne. That's what they're, they're thinking. And so Jesus is basically saying, like, some of you aren't even going to die. You're going to see these things happen. And they live with this like intense urgency because they just didn't think they had much time to do the work that God called them to do. And that urgency led them to spread the gospel in such a way that their accusers, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, say it negatively. But they said these men who are turning the entire world upside down, they, they kind of pointed to them because the whole known world at the time was on fire with the gospel because these, this church was just out there just doing what Jesus called them to do, and they were upsetting the status quo to the point where the religious leaders were like, these people are, are turning things upside down. 
And I have to ask the question about, you know, my own church or any church in America. How many people out there are, are complaining? You know, these, this church is turning our whole neighborhood upside down. Some churches, we're not even turning our street corner upside down for Jesus. We're not, we're not doing what God's called us to do in, the, in its fullness. And, and I think that we're supposed to be making a real impact in the world. And I think probably that these disciples in the early church had an advantage because they had no idea that 2,000 years were going to pass and we would still be sitting here waiting for Jesus. If someone had told them that, if Jesus had said, oh, by the way, you know, here's the day I'm going to come or whatever, and they knew thousands of years would pass, I imagine their urgency level would have just died off because they would think, well, we got plenty of time. So I kind of wish we could have, you know, I, having this 2,000-year gap kind of is a disadvantage to us because it's easy for us to say, you know what, like, look how long it's been. You know, we've been talking, you know, they had books, what, and Jesus coming in 1989, you know, 100 reasons, and people are selling copies, and we've had all these people saying, well, here's, you know, I'll try to put all these things together. And so we've, we've gotten almost worn out with this idea of Jesus coming when we're, it's supposed to be the thing that propels us to do what God's called us to do. And we look back at the early church and you kind of think, you know, wow, they really missed it. You know, they were way off. They thought Jesus was coming back that quick. But I think they might have missed the timing, obviously, but I don't think they missed the lifestyle. I, I, I wish for, for the church that we could adopt that kind of thinking. If God could do something in us to put that kind of urgency to believe, if I don't share Jesus with somebody today, that if he comes back, they're not going to be ready. A couple months ago, we had a, a scary situation. Isabel is our youngest, so she's, she'll be uh, two in March. And we were doing something in the living room, and we, you know, you had that moment, where's Isabel? Because you don't know what she's getting into. She's at that age. And I turn around the corner, and she's in our bathroom, and somehow she had gotten this bottle of, uh, like, hair-straightening product. And she had the lid off, and she's, like, guzzling this, this, this uh, liquid. So she starts coughing a lot. So we call poison control. And at first they were like, well, just give her some water and see if she's okay. Well, then she started passing out. She started like slipping out of consciousness. So we called back and they're like, take her to an emergency room right away. And here's what I can tell you about urgency. When there's an urgent situation, the only thing that matters in that moment is, is whatever that emergency is at hand. I wasn't thinking about bills we had to pay or, you know, situations in our church or ministry. I was thinking about one thing. I need to get Isabel to the emergency room as quickly as possible because at that point we had no idea what was going to happen. It Urgency creates tunnel vision. And she ended up being okay, so the story ended well. Nothing happened. Um, she, You know, they checked her out and things. But I, I just know what the feeling. When you're, when you're in an urgent situation like that, it's like everything else fades to the background. It all goes to the back burner. Nothing else matters right now except for this one situation. And, and I wish for myself and for our churches that that would become the urgency we have for the lost. Not that we don't take care of our families and pay bills and go to work and all those things. I'm not saying quit everything and go be an evangelist. I'm saying that the, the urgency would be in us so much that the emergency at hand is the souls of people that we come in contact with. And that that, that would become so important that everything else would just kind of fade to the background. As long, and we would go after it with that kind of intensity. I just need to share Jesus with somebody. If we could get a, a tenth of what the, the apostles had, or the disciples, if we could get just a, a little bit of that in our hearts, I really believe it would change the world around us. Dry Ridge would be changed if this church, would, if God would give us this morning, and we're going to pray for it, a little bit of urgency more than what we have, you'll transform this community. He did it with 12, and there's a lot more than 12 people in this room. But it, urgency causes us to change our priorities. It, it causes us to, to make time for things that are the most important. 
And I'm afraid that we've, 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 if I described, if I looked at the American church, honestly, and I don't think urgency is something that comes up as one of the main uh, qualities that we share. Because we just don't make time to, we don't make time to share the gospel like we should. We don't make time for the lost. People slipping in eternity probably doesn't keep us up at night very often and interrupt our normal activities, but I think that it should. And so one of the most powerful services I'd ever been in, when I first got saved back in Teen Challenge at 18, I went, um, I was a youth leader at a, a summer camp. And a man named Jim Raley, he's a pastor down in Florida, um, came and preached the youth camp. And he, he did like three or four services. On the last night, uh, I'll never forget it as long as I live. It's been almost 20 years, and it's like I could remember like I was there yesterday. He preached on the topic of hell. And he preached about Lazarus and the rich man. And uh, rich man and Lazarus. And, and all I know is at the end of that service, I don't remember all, the, all the, the points that he made. I don't remember that. But I remember we had a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. And I remember falling on my face and crying out to God because I knew that souls were that important. And I looked around the room at one point. Every young person, hundreds of young people, every staff, there was no person that wasn't on their face weeping and crying out to the Lord. And I remember God put something in me at that time, about, especially for my unsafe family, that it was like there was nothing more important in that moment than that people came to Christ, that my dad would be saved, that all these people. And, and I look back as I was preparing this message and thinking, I don't know if, if what God did in that marked me, and that's why I'm, I'm, this is such a passion for me, but, but we need God to do that for us once in a while to shake us up, to show us the reality of eternity and the reality of souls, that, that, that we have a responsibility and we could be the person that shares Jesus with somebody and, and saves them from an eternal, uh, eternal misery and brings them into the kingdom. And so we need that kind of urgency, and I'm praying this morning God will put our souls on fire for the lost. That's what I'm, uh, if, if, that's, if God would just do that, just set us on fire for that, Lord, then I think it would be worth this whole service. But when you have urgency, it'll lead you to the second quality that I think we need that goes hand in hand, and that's intentionality. Intentionality means to be deliberate or purposeful. The disciples, when you look at how the early church lived their lives, they were constantly finding opportunities to share Jesus with people. Um, we, they, Jesus had told them, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. He had already like, told them, this is what it means to be my disciple, to shine the light of Jesus everywhere you go. Um, they had seen him, you know, he sent them out in, at, when they were 12, he sent them out in pairs. Then he took the 72, he sent them out. I mean, that was just part of their culture. Hey, if you're a disciple, you're going to go out and you're going to share Jesus. He didn't look for this, you know, the, the 72, he didn't say, hey, there's 60 of you with a heart for evangelism. I'm going to send you the other guys, you just stay back and pray. I mean, you're, if you were following Jesus, you were on the evangelism team. Like it or not, introverted, afraid, whatever, didn't matter. He just sent them out, you go. And he said, here's what you do. You know, and he sent them. And, and. They, Jesus modeled it for them. He was constantly sharing the good news. We see Paul in the marketplace talking one-on-one with people. He goes to the synagogue. He's preaching Jesus. Uh, Philip talks to the Ethiopian eunuch on the road and begins to share the gospel with him. Uh, Peter intentionally goes to Cornelius' house after that vision that he had and, and shares, and Cornelius' whole family gets saved. Uh, Peter preaches in Pentecost right in the open square in public. They just have church right after Holy Spirit falls, and they just like, hey, we're having a church service. 2,000 people get saved. They planted churches. They wrote letters. The book of Romans, you know, Paul's writing the gospel, explaining and sending it out. They're distributing it out everywhere that they go. Um, Acts 5.42 says that the, the, the apostles were daily in the temple and in every house. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. 
It says they didn't cease. That was like their whole purpose. That's, they're just going to, everywhere they go, they're going to talk about Jesus. And we see that they really believed the Great Commission was important and they were intentional. It wasn't something that, you know, well, we had an outreach at church and now we're good for the year or whatever. It was like this was their lifestyle. They were consumed with it. And, you know, they had the, the, they had the advantage that Jesus was, had sent them out. If you were one of those 12 disciples... And, you know, Jesus sends you out and you go out, you see all this stuff happen and you're sharing the good news. And then you meet somebody and they want to follow Jesus, too. And they come to you and they're like, well, what do you what does it look like to be a disciple? Well, they'd be like, well, it's easy. We go out in pairs and we travel to towns in Israel and we preach the kingdom and we heal the sick and raise the dead. That's just like what they did. And so their culture was already Jesus birthed the culture that way. But over the years, we've just gotten further and further away from that. And, and a lot of people say, well, that was, for the, that was for the disciples, the apostles. That's not happening anymore. But I just, I just don't see that in the Scripture where it says, hey, once, I'm, once, you know, once the Scriptures are closed, you don't have to, you know, no responsibility for you. You just you know, have a good Christian life and be a nice person. That's not what the Scriptures say. But if something's urgent, it'll become a priority and it'll, it'll change the way that you live. Um, it's easy to agree with a point in a message. Maybe you sit here and you say, yeah, I agree with that. It makes sense. But the difference between the person who really receives it is the one who actually allows it to change their lifestyle. The way that you do life begins to change from this time forward because you've embraced the truth and you decide to put it into practice. And, it, and I'm not just talking about um, as a church, and, and I love that you're here as a community, and you can do that. I, I'm an outreach pastor. I love outreach. I take people out in the streets. We knock on doors. We do all that stuff. And I love it. But what about the time between the outreaches when you're out there at the grocery store, you and your spouse or your kids or whatever, and there's people, you can't say, well, I'll, you, well, I'll just wait till the next church outreach. Like, our life has to become an outreach. And that's what I've in, endeavored to do imperfectly. I don't, I, I'm not, I'm preaching to myself. All this is preaching right back at me. I, I believe me. God is dealing with me on the same thing. But I've tried to live my life that when I go when I'm out in public and I'm around people, I go to a restaurant to eat, that's an outreach because the, my waitress may not know Jesus. And it's, I've got an opportunity to share. And when, I'm, you know, when you go to the bank and you're standing in line, there's people in there, and I'm trying to say, God, begin to show me. Like, well, is there somebody I can talk to? Open up doors of opportunity. And he's faithful to do that when, that's really, when you're willing to be intentional. But I know for me, if, I, if I'm not intentional about something, then I'll just kick it down the road. I had a season where I was just, you know, constantly feeling like I need to make sure I'm sharing the gospel, and I wasn't doing it. So what I did, I, I've got a reminder. I've got, uh, you know, I've got reminders like crazy. It drives my wife nuts because there's to-dos pop. There's one that just popped up now um, about what I need to do because I will forget. I'm not an organized person. And one of my reminders is at least once a week have an encounter with somebody and share Jesus. I, I, I want to do more than that, but if I can just at least make sure that I'm intentional about once a week, I'm going to find somebody to share the gospel with. Once a week, I'm going to try to share love. At least it keeps it as part of my pattern, because if I'm not intentional about it, I'll forget about it. And so I'm trying to learn to build that into my life. But if, you're, if you have urgency, you'll become intentional about reaching the lost. But then it'll lead to the third thing, and that's boldness that we need. We need urgency about the lost, we need to be intentional about reaching them, but we need a boldness to do the work that God's called us to do. I'll share with you, just, I'll just be totally transparent. I am not, I may seem like a bold person. People say, well, you preach to hundreds of people and you travel and all this stuff. I, my nature, my flesh is not bold. I am an introverted person. My wife's like, you could go on an island and live by yourself and you'd be fine. I'm just that kind of person. And, and I love people. I'm a pastor and I, I love talking. I mean, but I am not like the, 
My dad can go into a gas station and he'll come out. He's not even saved. He'll come out and he'll tell you the life story of the person behind the counter. Oh, yeah, yeah, she grew up in, you know, New York, and she moved here, and her grandfather's got cancer. I mean, he'll just pull it out of people. That's his natural gifting. I don't have that. I didn't get it. I'm awkward all the time. It's, it's, I'm, I am. It's like I create awkward moments for people all the time trying to share Jesus. It's just part of the package. It's like you can't, I can't do it. And, and I don't always have the right words to say. And sometimes I fumble and bumble around. So I'm not, I'm not standing here like this unattainable, like I know evangelists that they'll just, they'll go into a restaurant and revival breaks out. And I'm like, I would love for that to be me, but I'm just not there. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm one-on-one just trying to like, you know, stumble around. And, but what I found is when you're willing to do the work, God gives you the boldness. Boldness is defined as willingness to take risks and act innovatively. I love uh, John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, used to say this. He used to say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Because every time you take a step of faith, it involves risk. And, and I think about this disciples, because there was a transformation that took place. They were not always the bold acts, um, you know, Peter and J- John. They were not always that way. There was a time when they were a lot different, um, even after following Jesus. If you, if you picture them... You know, they, they followed Jesus. They were the, the 12, and they're, they're going out and doing the work and all those things. And they were looking for Jesus to set up this kingdom. And so they're all excited. I mean, they were like the entourage of Jesus. He's, got, he's feeding 5,000, thousands of people. All this stuff's happening. And they're like, I can just see them being like, you know, look, this is gonna, we're getting ready to go somewhere. You know, we're going to, like, follow Jesus around. And, and all of a sudden, you know, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to be put to death. And they're just not getting it. And all of a sudden, the crucifixion takes place. And everybody but John scatters. And they're out there. They're, this is like the whole movement's ended in their opinion. They're like, you know, we need to get out of here. And when Jesus appears to them, he comes to pay them a visit after the resurrection. John 20 tells us where he finds them. Um, it says in verse 19, At the same day that evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Those disciples, these are the ones that they had been given the commission to go out and preach the kingdom. They had already gone out and seen Jesus do all these incredible things. Um, they, they've been called as ministers. You know, the, all this stuff is happening. But we see them hiding because they're afraid because they know if the Jews get a hold of them, they might be put to death too. And Jesus appears to them and, and speaks to them. And uh, the unfortunate truth is I think that kind of reminds me of a lot of churches that I've been a part of and that I've seen in America. You know, these four walls, we, we build walls to keep unwanted things out. You don't want the elements blowing in here. It's cold right now. And so you, you keep danger out. But these four walls have really become a hindrance to, the, to, to the great, the, fulfilling the Great Commission. Because we come in these four walls and we have our great you know, services and we love it and we worship and we, we have fellowship events and all these things while the world is sitting out there. And, and we need to get outside of the four walls to get out there and reach them. Because I don't know about your church, but I know that the lost are not beating our doors down to get into our church. Maybe there was a day, you know, 50 years ago, whatever. I've heard of days past before I was alive when everyone just kind of went to church. But that's not happening now. The only way these empty seats are going to get filled is if, if, if we go out there and get them and bring them in. And when you talk to, to people who've been saved in a church, they got invited. I think it's like 70% of them came because of a personal invite. That's how people are coming to the Lord. If you want to get them in the church, they, they're not going to magically appear. They're not just going to come all of a sudden. I mean, God can sovereignly do that, but I know churches that have cried out, God, fill these seats for years and years. And God, I think God's saying, you go fill the seats. Like, that's not my, my role. You go out there, and, you, and I'll give you the boldness that you need to share, but you need to get out there. 
But we see a complete change in these apostles and the disciples after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they're baptized in the Spirit, and then all of a sudden, you know, Peter, who was recently denying Jesus to a, you know, a slave girl, I don't know him, is he afraid? They're all hiding. All of a sudden, he stands up in front of this crowd and preaches the gospel. And you hear in, in verse, I don't know if it's verse 36, he points out there and he's like, the, the Son of God whom you crucified. I mean, that's, not, that's, not a, that's a pretty bold statement. You don't, you don't point fingers at people and say, you killed the Son of God if you're, if you're trying to protect yourself. But they're bold, and then all these people get saved, and you see this, this movement. And then you see these apostles doing incredible things, and they're stepping out in faith. One of my favorite stories is um, Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John, they're, they're just going about their daily life, and they're walking, and there's this, the cripple in front of the, the temple. And... You know, he's asking for money, and Peter's like, look at us. And the guy looks up, and he's like, I don't have silver and gold to give you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And they pick him up, and the guy's, you know, uh, dramatically healed. That's boldness, to, to look at somebody and say, get up off your mat. I mean, that's, that's not the same Peter we saw hiding in fear. And, and they get arrested for it. The, the religious leaders don't like it. They see this amazing miracle. This man's dancing around all excited, and, and they get angry about it. And, and so they, they arrest them. They're trying to decide what to do with them. And they decide to release them, but they tell them, we, we, we command you, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And, and Peter and John are like, listen, we can't, we're going to obey God over you. I mean, we can't, we're not going to just uh, obey man's word. And what amazes me in this story in Acts chapter 4 is they get together with other believers, and they have this prayer meeting. I don't know about you, but if that happened to me and I had just been arrested, um, I'd, I'd be praying for protection. I'd be praying, God, don't let that happen again. You know, thank God you got me out of the that you got me out of that. But I could have been killed. You know, I'd be thinking about that. Some people would start a you know a ministry, traveling around, talking about I got arrested. You know, write a book. I got arrested once for you know all this, and that's what and and never want to go back. But they they pray this prayer together, and here's what they ask for in verse 29. They say, Lord, look on their threats. And grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says, when they had prayed, the place they assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They didn't ask God spare our lives. They didn't ask for protection. They didn't ask for any of that. They said, give us more boldness. Their boldness is what just got them arrested. Their boldness was what caused all the problems that they were experiencing. And they're like, God, give us more of that. Knowing that that boldness would bring more persecution, that the religious leaders were going to continue to come after them. And they asked for something that, that to me, is, 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 it must have been so refreshing to the Lord. Like, they don't want protection. They don't want to, they're not running and hiding anymore. They're like, what, what just got us arrested? We want more of that because we know what we're called to do. And we know we need your boldness in order to do it. And I've found time and again, when we pray for boldness, when you, when you step out in faith, God will he'll give you what you need. He doesn't give it to you in advance. I've prayed before, God, make me bold so then I'll go out and do it. And God's like, that's not how it works. I have to step out, you know, humbly and in fear and trembling at times. And something triggers and God brings the Holy Spirit, gives you boldness to share right when you need it. But it happens as you go. And I've, I've never seen anything significant happen in evangelism without taking some risk to myself and, and without stepping out in faith. And so the, the two go hand in hand. But the, the, this lifestyle that we're to develop of seeing souls touched by God, it costs something. 
It costs us, you know, we, we risk a lot. We risk rejection. We risk, I mean, I've been cursed at. I've been threatened. Nothing serious, but I've had people laugh in my face. I mean, I've, I've experienced those things. I've had people say, I don't want what you have. But when you see God show up in someone's life, there's nothing in my, in my life, there's nothing more rewarding than when you see, when you get into that moment and you're sharing Jesus and God shows up and touches them and you and that person both know this is God, that's, that's, that's what's happening right here. And so I have had to pray. I've had to wrestle through. There was a season where I was, I, I would go to like a grocery store and I know that I should pray. God, give me a divine opportunity. But I let fear keep me from praying because I knew if God, if I pray, God's going to give me an opportunity and then I got to conquer my fear. And I just, I, for a season of time, I just wouldn't pray. I was like, Lord, I know what you want me to do. I'm not going to do it. And the Lord really convicted me a few years ago about that. Like, why are you, you're, you're asking me to do something and you're not even willing to go out and do it. And so I, I began to pray before a trip to the Netherlands. Um, I just said, God, whatever, whatever you have, I, I'm just going to start praying and just believe you to give me the boldness because I know that I, I'll let fear keep me from doing this. And my, uh, we went over, I went over to the Netherlands. I did a two-week trip, uh, had an awesome trip over there. And I flew my wife over for the second half. It was one of our anniversaries and um, she wanted to come over and meet some of my friends over there. So she came over. And I'll never forget this. We had one night where we were able to get away and we took a train um, from the Netherlands over to Belgium and we stayed in a hotel one night. I uh, went to a chocolate museum. It was awesome. I'm a chocoholic, so I loved it. Brittany's like, you always talk about that museum because they had free samples of all this chocolate. Totally aside now. Um, so we had this great night together and the next day, and I'm praying this prayer this whole time, God, give me a divine opportunities. I just want to, I want to be used. And so we get on this, the, the trains, there's all these trains in the station and you got to get on at the exact moment your train comes. They don't give you more than, you know, two minutes to get on the train. And so we're sitting there, Brittany and I, and we get on this train at the exact time when we're supposed to leave. And this, it's the two of us. And this, there's this girl. Um, she's an African girl, whatever. She's sitting next to us. And we get on the train and we strike up a conversation. And she asked, you know, because she spoke English. She's like, why, why do you speak English? We're like, well, we're here ministering, you know, traveling around. We're just on vacation this night. And we just had this real short conversation. And about four minutes later, the train stops and this announcement comes on. And we ask her, what are they saying? And she goes, oh, well, they're saying that we can't, we're at the end of our trip. Like, this is, you got to get off. This is the end of the thing. And we're like, well, we're supposed to be going, you know, back to the Netherlands. And she said, well, I am too. And she said, I don't understand. So she talks to some people and she finds out we got on the wrong train. Somehow that, that one train, like our train was like the next one coming the next minute. And so it was the weirdest thing. She helped us get back on a train to get back to the big station. And, and Brittany and I, we get ready to get, we had to wait about 45 minutes. And I'm sitting there in this sea of people now. There's like hundreds of people at this train station. And I sat there and I thought to myself, I thought, Lord, that's the strangest thing that we just, we just, why, why in the world did that happen? You know, it doesn't make any sense. And I really began to realize, like, I wonder if we were supposed to share Jesus with that girl. And I, I thought, I was like, that's just so weird. And so she's gone, you know, there's, there's nobody there. And I just sat there and I said, Lord, forgive me if I missed it. And that was supposed to be a divine connection. You know, I, I just, if you bring her back, then I'll share the gospel. I don't care, you know, I don't care what she thinks or whatever. I'll, I'll share Jesus with her. And I don't know, 10 minutes passed or whatever, and all of a sudden I see down the escalator this girl. She's coming down the escalator, and she walks about 20 steps, and she stands right there. And I'm like, I remember what I prayed. You know, Lord, this is it. You know, I told you I would do it. And so I just walked up to this girl. I said, this is the craziest thing. This is how I always start these conversations. You're going to think I'm crazy, but, you know, and I tell them whatever. And I just said, you know, we were on this train, and it's the weirdest thing. You shared, you know, we shared what, what we do. 
um, and we got off, and I, I said, I, I was sitting here thinking, I wonder if God put us on that train for you. And she started to cry, and she said, I thought the same thing. She said, I've been running away from the Lord. I've been, I've been backslidden. She said, I knew the Lord as a, as a girl, but I've gotten into all these kinds of things. And she said, I've been running. And she said, when I got off that train with you guys, I thought to myself, I wonder if God put them here for me. And we had a chance to minister at her at that station. We only had a couple minutes, and then we got on our train. You know, we gave her contact information. She's weeping. We prayed with her. And um, she just got on the train, and, and you know, we, she's never contacted. We never reached out. But it taught me something about God. I don't know how he does it. I, I mean, I told her, I said, God cares about you so much that he was willing to, somehow he got us all on this, this wrong train to drive four minutes to turn around. I said, that, God set that entire thing up because he loves you that much. He's after you. He's pursuing you. And I've wondered to myself, how many opportunities have I missed because I haven't prayed that prayer and I haven't been willing to step out? I don't know how he does it, but somehow when you are intentional, to, to do something. You just say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share Jesus with somebody. He finds a way to cross your paths together. It might be a missed train. It might be, you know, sometimes people ask me, can you get that thing off the top shelf, you know, because I can't reach it. And I'm like, God moment, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to pray for you. I want to talk to you. So I don't know how he does it, but I, I know when I'm not in that mode of being intentional and stepping out, then I just, there's people that pass by. It's like the people fade into the background and I'm just there to get my groceries. I'm there just to eat and I forget about people. And so my encouragement to you would be to, to begin to develop just, you know, I know Pastor Jeff talked about praying for the lost, and it starts there, and we're going to do that in a moment. Um, but, but that prayer is not just God sends somebody else to reach them. When we pray, then God's saying, okay, now you've prayed, now go out and do the work too. It's not just for us to sit back and pray and say, well, you know, God will send somebody else. We have to live our lives as if there is nobody else. And in this country, it's becoming a reality. There's, there's fewer and fewer true believers that it really could be true that if you don't share the gospel with your neighbor, there may not be another true believer to share it. So we have to begin to live our lives that way. We can't make excuses. We can't, you know, don't let fear be an excuse to all those things. We just need to start beginning to say, Jesus, will you just use me and position me in a place where I can be a blessing? It all starts with a burden. A burden for the lost will give us urgency, intentionality, and it will give us boldness. And what I want to do is just for a few moments, because I don't want to take up a ton of time, but I think this is important. I want to spend just a few moments praying together for the lost and praying that God will give us an urgency and a boldness and, and praying that God will do something, not an emotional response. I mean, our emotions might be involved, and that's always great, but that God will do something that trans, transforms us. And maybe some of you are doing this. You know, I don't know your life. Maybe some of you are already, and God's just saying, you're going to, let's take it up a notch. But, but just, it, God can do something so amazing to the person who's willing. He's looking for availability more than ability. Trust me, because I don't have the ability at near as much as I just make myself available. And so I just want to spend a few moments. I'm going to lead us. But if you have lost loved ones in your life, people you've been praying for, I've been praying for some people for 20 years. And, and you get discouraged. I want to encourage you, lift up your names to the, their names to the Lord. I believe that He hears those prayers. I, I believe that the Bible is true when it says God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That includes all your loved ones, your kids, your grandkids, whoever, your best friend, people in your life, in your, in your community. That's God's desire. So when we pray, we're praying according to His will because He wants them to come to, to saving faith. And so I want to lead us in, in, in a few moments, and then I'm gonna, we'll get into some practical things as well. But, but I just felt like this is so important that we would take some time. So I want to just encourage you, if you want to kneel down, pray at your seat, whatever you want to do, feel, feel comfortable. But, but can we just take a few moments?
Oh, Jesus. God, I just want to say thank You that You rescued us, God. Father, that, that You chose us, God. Your Word says we didn't choose You. You chose us, God. And God, when we talk about the reality of everlasting destruction, God, when we talk about the reality of, of slipping into eternity without Christ and what that really looks like, God, it fills our hearts with gratitude, God, that You have spared us the, that, that experience, God. You've given us hope, God. You've given us uh, your relationship with you, God, and when we we know you personally, God. And so I'm, I want to say, start by just saying thank you, God, that you chose us for yourself, God, that you've you've given us uh, your Spirit, God, that you've given us your Word. But God, I understand also that that comes with responsibility. God, that you didn't just leave us here so we could live good Christian lives and be a part of a church. You, you left us here to make an impact in this generation for the gospel. And Father, there are, every person, every one of us in this room, we're, we're surrounded in, with neighbors, God. We're surrounded with co-workers, with classmates, God, with, with people as we go out in public, God. There's people all around us, God, whose souls are in need of you. And Father, on, on their behalf, God, I want to cry out, God, will you have mercy on them? God, will you have mercy on the lost in our lives, God? God, for those who have, who have even spouses or, or grandkids or kid children or friends, God, and people they've been crying out for, God, will you have mercy on them, God? Will you have mercy? Will you reveal yourself to them, God, in a way that they can understand the, the, the glorious gift of the gospel? And Father, will you, will you bring them in, God? However you do that, God, will you, will you cause them to cross over from death into life, Lord, as you've done for us? But God, I also understand that part of you having mercy on them is putting an urgency in us to share you with them, God. Father, we, we repent of complacency, God. We repent of apathy, God. We repent of being comfortable, God of just the comfortable Christian life, Lord, that, that's not interrupted and, and we've lived our lives and we're, we're doing things that are good with family and activities. But God, so often we've filled our lives with, with things that don't really have enough eternal value and, and, and we've neglected, God, people in our lives that, that are desperate for a touch from God. So help us, God. I, I pray even in this moment, God, you would put an urgency of fire in each one of us, God, from the oldest to the youngest in this room, God, that there you would put something in us, God, to, to burn for the lost, God, to, to break our heart for the things that break yours, God, that, that the urgency in us would, cause, would override our fear, God. It would override our, our feeling incapable, God. It would override our, our worries of what people would think about us. All those things would be set aside because the emergency at hand, God, is the eternity of souls, God. So help us, God, to prioritize this, Lord, to, to do something tangible, God, to step out in faith. God, I pray for uh, intentionality, God. Give creative ideas to this church, God, to families, God, to, to, to what can work here, right here in Dry Ridge, God. Uh, give give, uh, give uh, just supernatural strategies, God, because you know each person in this town, God. You know the people that are here, and you know what works, God. So I pray you would birth God, a, a fresh evangelistic zeal in this church, God. A fresh outreach, God, ministry, God. People that, that, that it would just be normal for the lighthouse, God, to say, hey, let's go out and share the gospel today. Let's just get out and go. And people would pair up and go out and, and do those things, God. That that would become part of the culture, God. 
And Father, I pray, God, for boldness to come upon one. God, I know what it's like to wrestle with fear. God, I know what it's like to to feel inequipped, God, and to feel not enough, Lord. But I also know what it's like to feel when I step out in faith, God, when the boldness of the Holy Spirit comes upon me and you transform me into uh, what you want me to be, God. I've experienced that, and I pray that for every person in this room, God. That they would, that a boldness, that as they make an intentional effort to open their mouth, to do something tangible, to reach the lost, that the boldness of the Holy Spirit would come upon them, to give them words they don't have in themselves that come from you, to give them opportunities to share. God, I pray for divine appointments, God. I pray that they would, they would see how you're moving, God. Give, the, give us all spiritual eyes to see. When you position us in a place, God, that you put us there more than just to to buy something, God, more than just to to do something, Lord, but you put us there because there's people there that need Jesus and you uh, you put that message in our hearts, God. So I pray that you would give boldness to your people. And God, I thank you for a harvest of souls, God. I thank you for this church just beginning to get filled, not because of numbers, but because of souls, God. That seats that are empty, God, would begin to, that they begin to see an increase of visitors, God. People that come and stick, God, and, and feel welcomed into the family, God. That, that invitations would begin to go out, Lord. That, that, that your people would be activated to, to, have, to, to, to see fresh life in this place, God. To see souls, God, that not just to come here a message, but to be transformed radically, God, and, and be become the next leaders in this church and to even send out people from this church into, into fields of ministry and missions, God. God, I know you've, you've placed this building right here. You've provided it, God. You've placed this church here for a reason, God. And Father, I pray that you would you would let them be, see what they've cried out for years, God. Let them see the fruit of their prayers, Lord. Tangibly, God, even in the near future, God, that, that things would begin to happen and they'd be able to point and say, that's God doing that. That, that God is drawing people and that they're getting connected, God. So give us a fresh fire, God, for you, for the Great Commission. God, I pray each one of us would, would own it, God, that we have a part to play. We can't save the world, but we can reach out to one. God, we can, we can talk to the one you put in front of us, God. Help us, God. Help us, God. Oh, Jesus, God, we know it's your heart. That your heart burns for the lost, Lord. Give us your heart, Lord. And help us to overcome, God, whatever barriers the enemy would put in our way, God, that we would step over them and continue in, Lord. And I just thank you for what you're doing this morning. God, stir up our hearts and continue to do your work. And God, as we talk about tangible things we can do, God, I just pray for inspiration and encouragement, God, to, to be the body of Christ in our daily lives. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you. Like a contract. And God signed his part of the contract. And I feel like what he was saying is just that if you will step out and you will open your mouth and you will step out, I will anoint you to do the work. And and I'll open up the doors of opportunity to you. And you don't go alone. I'll go with you. But God's done his part of the work. And I feel like, I don't know if for the church or for individuals or both, but just that the way that we sign our side of the contract is to go out and do the work. But I just feel like the Lord's just encouraging us. Like, if if there, don't let this be a, hey, remember that one service and we all got, you know, moved and God tugged our hearts and then we just, just step out and test the Lord in this, I think. I don't, I know, 
don't want to become that's most presumptuous, but I just feel like the Lord's like saying, just go ahead and do it. Just go out and watch what I do. I want to um, share for a few moments, more than a few moments, but Pastor Jess said we're all fasting for lunch, so we're good. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to learn one more thing. You don't need to read another book. God is saying to you, you're ready. He's given you everything you need. You have a testimony, right? All of you. There's not one in here. You are ready to go share the gospel. Amen. Amen. So I want to, and I'm, yeah, we're just going to, I'm taking my time. I'm not going to be in a rush. If you're starving, sorry. <laughs> Good practice in being uncomfortable for the lost, though. I'm just, I, if, does anybody could help me pass? Just, I want everyone to have one of these. There's more at my table you can grab. But I want to give you a couple of practical things you can use that will be helpful. And um, I want to share some stories, and then yeah, we'll have a good time of fellowship. So... What, what helped me a lot when it came to this, I used to, you know, a lot of people, I think they don't feel, for one thing, I don't think sometimes people don't do this because they don't feel called to do it. I don't think that's biblical. I think we all, I mean, we're not all evangelists per se, like the office of, but I think we're all called. Um, some people don't feel equipped. They feel like they need, you know, Pastor Jeff just shared, you feel like you need another class or a teaching or something. You don't, you just need the Jesus in you. And, um, and what I'm giving you now is a card. This is just a simple uh, gospel presentation that um, people are using in jails in different places that we put together. It's called the Romans Road. You probably heard of it. This is one version of it. Um, but this is a, put this with your Bible, with your quiet time, and let it haunt you because, like, I want you to see that. Oh, that's why I'm giving everyone. Whether you like it or not, I want you to have one because I want you to see that when and then it, when you just it's just reading the scriptures. You don't have to. You, you could bring it to somebody and give it to them, but. Just a simple gospel presentation, you know, knowing just a few of the scriptures will really help, and you can walk somebody through and give them an explanation of it. It's got a prayer at the end. You can pray through it with somebody if you'd like. Um, and so that, that's what that's for. So I'd love for you to, and you can, we can get more to you if you want them. I know people like um, Delbert and Jenny Hill are using it in their jail ministry, and so I send them packets of them to them so they can walk people through. But I think the one thing that really hindered me when I first started doing this, because when I got saved... I, I was in Teen Challenge, and I, I remember that one of the first things I did, I, I, went, I ordered like these big cases of these New Testament Bibles, and I gift-wrapped them for Christmas, and me and a couple of friends went to the malls, and we just started like doing this. I don't, no one ever told me. I just thought, well, I need to tell somebody about Jesus, and I remember having opportunities to share just simple things that I've done. Um, but I know when you're in church circles a lot of times, if you're not like the, if you don't have the stories of, you know, when you do an outreach, everybody, you know, our church, the churches I've been in, I've changed the culture, but a lot of times people, the first thing is say, well, how many people got saved? And I'm like, number one, I could tell you how many people we might have prayed, but I can't tell you who got saved and who can't. I'm not God, you know, so, but we're, we're very results driven in the church and it can be problematic because it makes you feel like if you don't have numbers to report, then you, then you weren't successful. And so I used to go out like, like, I'm going to convert people, you know, that was like my thing. And what happens, and I've seen some really great evangelism, and I've seen some really ugly evangelism. I've seen people go out with scripts, trying to, trying to um, 
co- coerce people. I've seen people back people into corners and like repeat after me so that they can go back to their church and say, 50 people got saved, like a notch in their belt or whatever. And it's not right because those people, number one, are probably not getting saved. That's probably, there's a pretty good chance of that. They're just trying to get you off their back. But the, the, it's just not, that's not how God works. He doesn't force people into like, you know, because that's not how it happens. So what really helped me, and you can look it up. I don't have time to go through it all, but there's a man named James Engel, and he created this thing called the Engel Scale. You can Google it. And basically through the research they found, especially in a Western culture where there's a lot of um, church, like church, like at least Christianity is known, um, there's, they, they realize that people are at different places on a scale, from the place of not even knowing anything about God to the place of like passionately in love with Him, not everyone's in the same place. So when you meet somebody and you start talking, they may not even know the name of Jesus. Well, you've got to start a little bit different to explain that than this, the person who was in church for 20 years and is backslidden. People are just at different places. And what they determined, the, the best form of evangelism, and this is what I do, is just to go in thinking, I'm going to move that person from where they're at on the scale and move them up closer to a relationship with Jesus. That... It, that's just progress. If that person walks away, they feel loved, cared for, they learn something about the gospel, and maybe they don't make a decision right on the spot, they, at least if you can get them closer, you can kind of like, and if all the church was out there doing that, they would go out here and they, this person would share. I mean, if the whole church was doing it, people would get bombarded with the gospel all the time and probably get saved a whole lot quicker. So um, it helped me because I, I, re- I read the scripture that Paul talks about in Corinthians where he says, I watered the seed, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God gave the harvest. And I realized I was trying to go out and be a harvester, and it felt like if I wasn't harvesting some tangible thing, then I felt like a failure when God didn't call us to be... He calls us to be prepared to harvest. If someone says, how can I be saved? I want to know. We need to be prepared to share. Well, here's how. You know, I'm not saying we don't ever do that, but God's the one who does that. Our job is to plant seeds into water seeds. And I realized I'm a lot better at that and a lot more comfortable with that um, than, than the harvesting anyhow. So I've learned a lot, you know, over the years, but... If I just go in and just water a seed someone else planted, that's actually the only thing we're called to do. And then when, when someone's prepared to receive Christ, we, we're prepared to do that. So to me, it just took all the power, all the, the pressure out of evangelism. When I take teams out, people have fun. We enjoy it. It's like actually something people look forward to. I, I love doing it because I realize that we just have to love people toward Jesus. That's our only role. And if, if, if the church was doing that, it would be great. So I wanted to share some super practical things that I've done, some stories, and then um, we'll break. But one of the most, the most simple things you could possibly do, and it works in any situation, anywhere you go, is just offering to pray for people. It's about the, it, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, kind of like a duh, like it's something easy we can all do. But if you don't intentionally set out to do it. Um, there was a man, I, I lived in a place a couple houses ago. We lived in Xenia when I first got out of Pure Life. Um, and there was a house two doors down. Um, the man was an ex-Marine. His name is Jim. I didn't know that at the time. And he was rough. I mean, you can hear him cursing out his grandkids and everything. He had a, he's a rough guy. And um, he had a guy staying in his house that was homeless. And so somehow I got connected with this homeless guy. He was like a con artist. We had gone out for coffee a couple times, and I can kind of read through it. And just he, nothing was going, but I tried to share Jesus with him. Well, there was one day where I got home, and there's ambulances at this guy Jim's house. And so I ran over there, and I had never been in the house before. And I just, like, walked in, and Jim was there with his wife. And I'm like, hey, I'm, I live down the road, but I know Vern. And Vern's on the ground, um, you know, claiming to have this back problem. I'm not sure what was going on there. And so the, I'm just sitting there praying. And ambulance takes Vern out, and I'm here with, along with his guy, Jim, and his wife in their house, you know, invited myself in. And I was like, 
hey, you know, like I'm from down here and I know Vern whatever. And so we talked a little bit and I just said, hey, well, do you mind if I pray for you guys? And the guy, and Jim just kind of scowled at me or whatever. And, and he goes, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, his wife hit him. She goes, you dummy. He's asking you permission because he's in your house. And he goes, fine, if you want to pray. So I just, I prayed this prayer. He does play super awkward or whatever. I'm just praying for this guy who hates, he doesn't want me in his house. And um, a few weeks later, um, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to buy a Kroger gift card for a certain amount. And I want you to go over and give it to Jim because he's struggling with his grandkids. I mean, he's, he's raised like seven grandkids and he's not in good health. So I just walked over, knocked on the door. Jim answered the phone. What do you want? And I said, you know, I was praying and the Lord, I felt like he told me to give you this gift card. And I handed it to him. He started to tear up and I just let the door shut. And I just like, because I was like, it was standing outside the door shut and I just walked away. It was very like, I was like, okay, I didn't do anything more than just do that. And he kind of was stunned. So um, a couple months later, I had seen Jim a couple times outside um, and I started striking up a conversation. He kind of warmed up to me a little bit and he shared how his dad had been a Pentecostal preacher, beat him and his siblings, terrible example, hypocrisy. And that was, I realized, like the root issue of why Jim is the way he is against Christianity. So um, our, someone in our church had bunk beds that they wanted to give to somebody. So I went over to Jim's house and said, I know you got a bunch of kids that we've got these brand new bunk beds. And so we bring them over, we assemble them in his house and Jim starts weeping. I mean, he's like moved by this thing. And he had back problems. And that time I said, hey, Jim, can I pray for you? He goes, yeah, please. And he let me pray for him. And it became a pattern where I was able, every time I saw him, I'd share the gospel with him. And he would, you know, he told me one day he's starting to talk to Jesus a little more and all this. So I hadn't seen Jim. This, this doesn't have a happy ending, so don't get prepared. This is not going to be, this is, not, it's not a bad ending, but he doesn't get saved yet. So just, I know everyone's going to be like, where's the punchline? There's no punchline. I'm just sharing a story. So a couple months ago, we, had, we kept that house as a rental, so I had to go out there one last time. We ended up selling the rental, and I prayed on the way there. I thought, you know, I've talked to Jim a bunch of times about the gospel, but I've never really pressured him to make a decision. But if I, I said, God, if you, you open up the door, I'll do it. And so me and my father-in-law are fixing some shingles, and I see Jim walk out the front door. So my father-in-law, i got to go talk to Jim. So I go over there. Him and his grandson are there. I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. I, hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm all right. He goes, I got diagnosed with cancer, and you know, I, don't, I don't know how much longer I have to live. And so I said, Jim, I said, where are you at with the Lord? And he said, you know, I, I said, he's got, I said well, if you die and stand before him, if you die of cancer, where, what's going to happen when you stand before God? He goes, I don't know. And so I said, Jim, you can, I've talked to you all this time. You know, like you can, you can reach out to God. So I told him, I said, well, we, Jim, we can pray right now. Like, I'll pray with you, like to receive Christ if you, if you want. And you know what he said? He said, oh, we're really busy. We got, we got somewhere to go. And so he and his grandson got in their car and left. And I don't know, I don't pray for Jim. I mean, that's the story that, that, but I saw just by simply offering prayer awkwardly in this guy's house, how the Lord began to break down barriers to where now he actually looks forward to seeing me. I, he's got my phone number on his refrigerator, and I said, Jim, when you're ready, you call that number, and I'll pray with you. I'll come out and visit with you. And so I just believe in that before he dies, somehow, maybe he'll be on his deathbed or whatever, that he'll, call, he'll reach out because he knows. But I've, I've seen that happen time and again. When we go out to eat, I don't do it every single time. Sometimes the waitresses are so scattered these days, there's like hardly any you know, restaurant staff. But I try to make it a habit before we do our meal. So simple. Hey, I've talked to our waitress, our waiter. We're Christians. We're going to pray over our meal. Is there anything we can pray for you? Sometimes they, here's what they always do. They say, what? And then you have to say it again because it's like so out of the ordinary. I've had people tell me they've been in the restaurant industry for years. They said, nobody's ever offered to pray for me, which I think, what are, the, what are we all doing when we go out to eat? You know, where are all the Christians at? Um, but one, we were at Red Lobster not too long ago at a birthday party. 
And when I asked that question, it was the right question at the right time. The woman broke down crying. She was a waitress. She had a two-year-old son who had just been has, had diagnosed with some kind of serious health health condition. And she's like, you had no idea how much I need that. So we just gathered together with family, grabbed her hands, prayed for her, um, left her a big, gigantic tip because you don't want to be a cheapskate and then tell people about Jesus. That's my number one rule. If you're going to tell, if you're going to offer to pray, make sure you at least tip like the minimum really good one. But don't, you know, don't be the, the Christian that gives a gospel track and no tip. That's rude. So, but, and, and, and it, I've seen it time and again. You just, it's just, it's, it's God, it's somebody, when God puts somebody in front of you, you have an opportunity. And it's simple as, because when, when people, when you offer prayer, you can find out where they're at. Because a lot of times they'll be like, oh, priest, pray for this. My, you know, my husband's leaving me or whatever and all this stuff. And you get into their life. And then you can say, well, we'll pray for you, but where are you at with God? What's going on in your life? And it'll open up, people open up when they feel like you care. And when they realize you don't have ulterior motives, you're just there to love on them. Um, my father-in-law, were at, we were shopping at a mall, an outdoor mall, and all the wives were in, you know, spending all our money. And we were, we were just sitting there, and I'm like, why don't we just go pray for people? And so we walked around the outdoor mall, and we just walked up to people, he and I. Hey, we're just out here praying for people. Is there, can we pray for you about something? And you'll be amazed that the, if you hit the right person at the right time who's in need, they'll say, sure, pray for my, you know, I just got diagnosed with cancer. This happened. And you, can, you get an opportunity. So, well, let's pray for that right now. We'll believe God for it. You pray for them. And then you can say, hey, do you know the Lord personally? Because we're out here sharing. And it's, it's the most simple thing. It doesn't cost anything. And I've seen God open up more doors just by saying, hey, can I pray for you? What well, people that they put in front of you. And so I've, I've done that a lot. I try to make it a, a, a regular um, a practice, um, a praying for the sick if, if they're ill. Um, pray, you know, it says in Mark, it says these signs shall follow those who believe. And it talks about laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. And I've seen, I have not seen near as much as what I'm believing for, but I've laid hands on probably hundreds of people out in public. Um, I'll tell you one story. Me and my friend Amos were, um, we were going downtown uh, Dayton, a place where we love to go. We, go. we just pair up and we just go out and just share Jesus with people. We were handing out pops. We were just handing out sodas and um, this, this, a couple of kids were there. They were like hitting a basketball. He was, they were teenagers. And um, one of the kids, we just walk up, hey, you want a Pepsi or whatever it was? And he took it, and we started talking to him. He said, hey, well, is there anything we can pray for? You got any pain in your body? And he said, well, yeah, I've got a back injury. My back, it's sore from time to time, and it hurts. So we said, well, can we lay hands on you and pray for you? And just, uh, I'll tell him. I don't know if God will do anything, but he can, you know. So, like, I'll, you know, I'm not promising anything. And um, we laid hands on him, and we said, well, tr- try it out. And he began to test it out. His eyes got really big, and he was like, the pain is gone. And his buddy was the one who tested, his buddy looked at us and he goes, he's not playing around. He goes, he don't joke around. Like, he's serious. Like, he wouldn't have said that. And so we were able to share Jesus and just tell him that's God touching you, you know. And I've, I've seen a ton. I've, I've prayed for tons of people and seen absolutely nothing happen in that moment. And I don't know what happens when I walk away. I never see him again. Maybe God will heal him that night. I don't know. But it's a simple way to show love. And it, it, even if nothing happens, they, you're, it's a way to show love. I care for you. And I'm going to pray for a miracle and believe God. And so offering prayer, super simple. All of us can do it. You don't have to be a prayer, you know, eloquent prayer to say, Jesus touched my friend or whatever. You can just grab their hands and do it. Um, another thing that we've done that is really practical and really easy is just simple, using simple acts of kindness to, to bless people. I, I didn't hand all these out, but maybe do we get these out to people? I, I was going to leave about 100 of these with, at the church. These are, we use these called touch cards. I'm not the original designer of it. We got some back there. Okay. So we'll leave a stack with the church. What this is, is you do something nice for somebody that makes them ask the question, why, why did you do that? 
which in this day and age, anything you do, I mean, people argue all the time, they're like, I just want to give you this. They're like, well, nothing's free. Like, no, this really is free. No, it's not. What's the catch? There's no catch. I just want to show the love of Jesus. But you give these cards with them. When they open it up, it says love with no strings attached in the front. And it just says, what's this all about? Somebody showed you the love of God, no strings attached. Jesus Christ was the greatest example of this love. He died on a cross to pay for your sins. He loves you so much you're worth dying for. Uh, God desires to reveal his love to you, his plan for your life. The person who gave you this card experienced that radical love is passing it on to you. It has a link on the back. What I would encourage you, if you want to use these, um, have that put mailing labels with the church's information and cover up my information with that. Because if you're going to do it in town, you want them to have, be able to follow up if, if God really touches them and they want more. Um, if not, there's a QR code that'll take them to our website with a gospel presentation and they can reach out to us and we'll try to pair them up with churches in that area. But I give these out. I try to make this as part of my regular once a week routine. I try to take a touch card and go out and find somebody. Um, I was just in Kroger a couple days ago. I, I, got, I try to keep some gift cards on because sometimes I, I feel like I need to go talk to somebody and I want to bless them and I don't have it on me. So I'm trying to start keeping them on my person, gift cards to gas stations or whatever with these cards. And I just, I walked around the store, did some shopping, kind of looking around, Lord, do you have anyone to talk to? And I was standing in line and this woman walked by with her, a kid in her cart and she walked over to the pharmacy aisle and I just felt like the Lord said, that's the one. And so I just walked up to her. It's so simple. Hey, I just want to bless you. I've got a free gift card for you today. And, and you know, this, this card explains why I'm doing it. And she said, are you sure? And I said, well, yeah, I'm sure. I just, I said, I was standing over there praying for somebody. And I said, I felt like God led me to you. And so she was like, are you serious? She had her kid say thank you. You know, it was real simple. But, and, and we can tell them. And if you have more questions about Jesus, you can follow up with this card. And so we have done, um, the, it, this all kind of started for me when we went, me and my friend started really kind of getting on fire for the lost. Um, and he and I, he's our worship leader at our church right now. Um, we, we went downtown Dayton, a really rough area. There's lots of drugs on 3rd Street. And there's a grocery store that he worked across from. And he's like, there's just something about this store. I think we just need to do something there. So we walked in. It's actually in a Muslim section of town. The owner, I'm pretty sure, is Muslim. We walked in and found the manager. We said, hey, you don't know us, but we want to pray for people out front of your store. And we just want to give them drinks. So I said, we'll buy the drinks from your store so you'll get the profit. But we just want to set up a little booth and put free prayer and drinks. And he was like, come with me. And we're like, uh-oh, you know. So he brought us to the back of the store with a cart. And he starts filling up. He takes these big cases of this weird, it was like a, some kind of drink with stuff in it. Like the Goja, Gobojo, whatever. I don't know. Not kombucha, but it was, it was just some weird drink that he was advertising. It has the little orbs there or whatever. So he starts loading up this cart, and he's like, well, when you do that, I want you to give away these because I'm trying to advertise them. So we're like, oh, okay. So we just set up a little table, me and him, with a cooler, free drinks and prayer. And people would go in the store and come out. And when they came out, we'd say, hey, do you want a Pepsi? Well, sure. Well, you hand it to him. Hey, can we pray for you for anything? And it was the most amazing thing. I, I'll never forget, there was one girl, she was probably 28, 30 years old, and she, I don't remember what she was going through. This was years ago. And I just remember, I can see her face in my, with mascara running down her face, weeping because somebody cared enough to pray for her and share the gospel with her. And, and I just, it was so simple. It was giving somebody a pop. And, that's the, and it opens up, when you do something nice for somebody, it opens them up because they're not expecting it. And, you know, people don't often do that. And then you, it gives you an opportunity because they'll say, this is the best, what you want them to do. Hey, can you want, you want a free drink? They'll say, sure, what's the catch? There's no catch. Well, why are you doing it? Well, I'm doing it because I'm just trying to share the love of Jesus with them. Do you know him personally? Do you have a relationship with him? Um, I'll ask people a lot of times, has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? Oh, no, what's that? Well, let me tell you just briefly. 
Um, it's so simple. It's the easiest thing you can do. You can set it up right here. I, we did an outreach actually with you guys years ago when you first, I think it was when you first got planted. And we, we went door to door. We talked to people in town. This is a place with a lot of great need. There's a lot of opportunity. You could set it up right here in downtown and just hand out drinks with somebody. It doesn't have to be a big church thing. It can be, but, it, you know, just find a couple. What I found is I've got two or three guys in my life that anytime I say, hey, let's go share the gospel with people, they'll, they'll jump in and we'll go out two by two. Jesus sent them out two by two, and that helps me a lot because I'm more bold when i got somebody with me. Um, just go out, and we'll just, that's what we'll do for a couple hours. We'll just walk up to people and say, hey, has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? And then we'll just share. And, 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 you know, you get shut down. You get awkward things. People don't like it or whatever, but um, it's, it's so simple. Um, paying for people's groceries or meals. You know, a lot of times you're standing in line, you're at Taco Bell or wherever you like to go, and the person in front of you orders. You can just casually just walk up and be like, hey, excuse me, I want to pay for your meal. And you can even slide the card before they can say no. Because sometimes they'll say, you don't need to do that. You just walk up, hey, this one's on me. Slide the card, buy their Starbucks drink. And they'll turn around and say, why in the world did you do that? Well, let me tell you about it. You know, let me share. Uh, we'll do it in drive throughs as a family. We'll go through... Um, and we'll say, pay for the meal behind us, and we'll give them one of these cards and say, when they ask, why do they, you know, just give them this card, because this explains why we're doing it. And most people at the store will be like, okay, whatever, they don't care, they're, you know, they're making minimum wage, they don't, like, whatever. So they'll just hand them the card, and we're just, it's just planting seeds everywhere we go. We're just trying to drop seeds to make our life, you know, kind of gardening. Um, another thing that we did as a church, this is a church outreach, um, just to do simple things. Um, we printed these cards. Um, this says, thank you. You probably don't hear those words as much as you should, so we want to thank you for all that you do for the community um, to serve. God loves you. We appreciate you. We're praying for you in, in our information about our church. We bought a bunch of prepackaged cookies from Nabisco or whatever. I don't know, like 50 boxes. And we just went into local businesses, went to the front desk when they weren't, you know, dealing with customers, and just saying, hey, we're from Kettering Assembly of God. That's where I was at the time. And we just wanted to bless your employees. Can you put this in the break room, and can we pray for you for anything? Um, some were comfortable with it. Some didn't want prayer. Um, but me and my father-in-law went into a mattress store, and we handed it to the clerk that was there. And that night, um, we had a night evening service. It was a Sunday night. And this woman that I had never seen came up um, at the end of service. I was up at the altar, and she's, she's crying and she shared that she had not, for, she had been divorced. Her husband had left her, and her name was Kelly. And um, she, had, she hadn't forgiven him for what he had done. And she had been away from the Lord because she'd been holding on to bitterness. And so I said, well, you want, do you want to forgive, you know, forgive your husband? We can pray for that right now. And she, she did. She's weeping. We pray. She forgives him right there, rededicates her life to the Lord. And afterwards, I said, well, what brought you out here? I've never seen you before. She said, you and your, you and your teams came out. And she said, I was in that mattress store, but when you guys dropped off the cookies at the desk, I was on the phone, so I didn't have a chance to talk to you. But she said, I knew when I, when I heard what you guys were doing, when I overheard, she said, God just spoke to me. That was him reaching out to me. And she said, I came out to service tonight because I knew that God was calling me. And it was through a box of cookies. So here's what I found about God. He'll use anything that he can get. He, he, it's just, all we have to do is just give him something to work with, and he'll do it. It's all he's looking for. It doesn't have to be some big, fancy, glitzy thing. He can use a gift card. He can use a, a pop. I mean, I've seen him do all kinds of things, literally just by, by things like that. And, and we do things like that as a church. We just go out and find ways to bless people. Um, I was in, uh, actually, a, uh, well, Jungle Gyms, right? That's the multi-international place. Did I get a clap back there? Is that, uh, so, um, Jungle Gyms, I was there a couple years ago, and... 
the guy in front of me forgot his wallet. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. And, you know, the, the cashier's looking around. And the Lord just spoke to me, pay for that guy's groceries. And so I don't remember how much it was. I just He was in the aisle next to me. So I jump over. I told my hold on, cashier. I'm like, I got to do this. So I go over there. And I'm like, I'll pay for your groceries. He's like, you don't have to do that. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. And so I paid, got him going. And he stuck around because we had to get our groceries. And he was an ex-vet or whatever. I don't remember his whole story. Been away from the Lord. But he was like, why did you, I need to know, why did you do that? And I was like, well, I'll tell you why I did it. And I, I was able to share. I said, you know, I was a drug addict for years. God set me free. I'm trying to share the love. He let me pray with him. I mean, he was just overwhelmed that somebody would do that. And I shared that story in the Netherlands um, a couple years ago. Uh, just practical things like I'm doing now, just telling him. And the Bible school leader called me, I don't know, it was a couple few months ago. And he said, I was thinking about you the other day. And I said, oh, yeah? And he said, um, I was in the grocery store, and the person in front of me forgot their wallet. And he goes, because I had heard that story, I immediately was like triggered into action. And he goes, I went over there and I just paid for it. And the guy chased me down and said, why did you do that? You know, it was like a replay. And he said, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And I don't think he had ever heard the gospel over there. It's pretty secularized. And he's like, it gave me an opportunity. And so it's just being aware of your surroundings of what, what God's doing and looking for opportunities to do things. You know, when, when you're out and about, it's not just about, I know we, we get our... You can get into your zone of like, I just need to get these three or four things and that's it and then run out of the store. But God's put us in places for a reason. Me and my girls, um, last Christmas, we bought boxes of chocolates from the local chocolate place in Dayton. And we put a note in there to all of our neighbors because we had met some of them, but we didn't meet all of them. I think we have eight around us or whatever. And we just put on there, hey, we know that the pandemic had just passed. We know that's been crazy. We haven't got to meet a lot of you, but we're Christians. We believe in Jesus Christ. We don't know where you're at with God. But if you ever need prayer for anything, just let us know. And we just went and knocked on doors and introduced ourselves to the neighbors and handed them a box of chocolates. That's how we cracked the ice with some of them to just build relationship. Um, we actually, this past December, we took 10 of our, that, those fiction books I told you about, my, my and my girls, and some chocolate-covered pretzels. And the three, me and the three amigos, we all went out to uh, uh, the local mall. We have an indoor mall. And right before Christmas, we just we carried around my daughter in her stroller, and we have all these presents. And we just we prayed, Holy Spirit, lead us to people. And we just went up to people and said, hey, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And people are like, what? Like, like, you're like, no, this is a gift for you. We prayed. We asked God to show us, and we just want to bless you. We, gave a, we had a, a Romans road card in there, one of those cards, and we just handed them out. Um, we had a woman that broke down crying over it because she's like, this is the sweetest thing anyone's ever done and all this stuff. Um, it's just, and, I, and, and we don't, there's a lot of these one-time encounters. It's like, well, I don't ever get to, they don't always reach out and say, hey, you know, that really set me on a different trajectory. A lot of times you don't hear, but you just put it in God's hands um, and, and, and believe him. There was a man at our church. I used to be kind of critical about um, whether or not God can use, like, he, was, he was a gospel tract hander outer, you know? And I used to be like, wow, what's a gospel track? It's the easy way out. You just hand it to him and run, you know, or whatever. Like, I just was kind of critical. Like, that's old-fashioned, whatever. I had this whole thing. And there's a man named Mike Schoonover at our previous church, and he shared his testimony one night. And it was back in the 70s. And this guy was a soul winner. He was like, every outreach, he would go out with us no matter what we were doing. Um, love. He had a passion for souls. But it all started because he was outside a movie theater. He was going in to see it. And some guy um, outside the movie theater in the 70s handed him a gospel track from Billy Graham. And he told the story that week. He said, I read that little track. It had the scriptures in there. talked about being prepared for judgment or whatever it was. He said it haunted me for like a week or two. And he went back into the movie theater. He found that guy that had given out the tracks. And it, the long story short, he ended up getting plugged with the church, got saved, and for years has been sharing the gospel through tracks and things. 
And that changed. I thought, Dustin, you're so stupid. You think you know everything. Like, like that, that little piece of paper with some scriptures, and I was like, that's old-fashioned. People don't do that anymore. So what we did, we went and got a track rack at our church, and I started refilling, putting it. Just anything that you can do, God, I just think God's just waiting for, like, some material to work with because he can do that. And when you hear people testify, they'll share my grandma bought me to, brought me to church when I was seven years old. I went to a VBS. When I was a teenager, my friend invited me to youth group and I heard the gospel. When I was 20, I went through a divorce or whatever and I got saved. You hear the story of how people, like the Engel scale, they started somewhere and they don't immediately always receive it. I mean, I sure didn't receive it the first time I heard it. But as they encountered people, encountered love, encountered the gospel, that's their story eventually, like the light went on. And so I just want to be part of that path of wherever that is. If God wants me to be there to lead them to Christ, great. If, if I'm just the one planting some seed, handing them a track or a box of cookies, whatever it is, being a part of that journey. And I don't, you know, I don't know how it works in heaven, but I believe there will be people who will come up to us and say, you, you didn't see this on the earth, but you handed me, you know, you prayed for me at a restaurant and I was really struggling. That, that Sunday I went to a church in town, I got saved and I, I served Jesus. Now I'm here and you played a part in that. I think God will let us see those kind of things. I'm not sure if that, you know, not, not for our glory so we could say, yeah, we did it. But just so we could see that God is doing a whole lot more through our acts of obedience than what we ever can imagine. So um, our church, we started doing monthly grill outs every Wednesday um, before service. We do a grill out freak in the community. We go knock on doors. We hand out meals. Um, all those kinds of things you could do corporately. Um, you could do them singly. I'm going to leave with Pastor Jeff a, a booklet. I've got two of them here. This is, I printed this off the internet, but we've used this. There's a man named Steve Shogren. Um, he's out of the vineyard, and he does, he's a big servant evangelism guy. And so this is 94 community servant evangelism ideas for your church. Um, we have done, there's, some of them are just, you know, some of them are handing out cookies or whatever. Some of them are wild. We did an outreach once, it was kind of funny, where we went into public um, businesses, and we brought a bunch of cleaning supplies, and we walked into the clerk and said, hey, we want to clean your bathrooms for free. And they were like, you want to do what? Like, we want to clean the bathrooms. We know no one wants to do that. We'll come in. We'll do a good job. We'll just we'll clean your, your restrooms for you. And then they were like, why in the world would you want to clean our bathrooms? And then we're like, well, we're sharing the love of Jesus. We're out here. Can we pray for you? Whatever. And some of them were like, legally, we cannot allow you to do that. If you hurt yourself or something, you know, like they wouldn't let us. But it, I promise you people will remember those things. Uh, I, you know, sometimes you wonder, is it, is it make any difference? Me and my girls are handing out these Christmas presents. And I thought to myself, well, does, it, does it even, you know, the devil will be there to whisper, you're not doing anything, you'll never, you know, see fruit. But I thought to myself, I've been alive, I'll be 40 in October. No one's ever handed me a Christmas present as I'm walking through the mall. It's just never happened. I guarantee that these little things that might seem simple or somewhat meaningless to us, that person's going to go home and they're going to think about it. And they're going to say, there's a group from a church that came into our business to clean our bathrooms. Like, who does that? And I'm telling you, just, you're just leaving little seeds and marks. And so this gives you, like, a ton of ideas, and I was going to leave those. Someone in the church has a heart for it. You can look through. Um, we've done a ton. We went to a local car wash where you put the quarters in, got, like, $50 in quarters, and when cars pulled in, hey, we're out here with the church. We want to pay for your car wash. And we washed their cars for them. And people, you just be amazed at, and gave them New Testament when rolled down the window. Here's why we're doing it. Um, it, it, it just shocks people into, like, it shocks them into submissions, what I was going to say. It, like, shocks them into, like, they don't know, they're like deer in headlights, so they don't know what to do but to ask, why are you doing this? Some of them might regret asking, but, because then you just get an open door to share, and you just share, you know, you can share your story. So I'll leave that with you. Um, I want, we're going to, I'm going to close this thing out. Um, but just being aware of people around you, 
Um, we were, I was down in Brazil, um, and me and Fred went out to get a haircut. Our hair was getting all bushy. And so Fred's like, I need to get a haircut. I said, well, my, I need one too. So we go to the, we just went to the local barbershop. And uh, we're sitting there getting our hair cut, and we, we strike up a conversation with the, the workers because Fred can speak Portuguese and find out that the guy that was cutting my hair actually went to the church I was preaching at that night. So afterwards, we just, you know, we gathered, we, hey, can we pray for you and bless you? So we prayed for you, prayed for him. The guy, the other guy that was cutting hair that I don't think was a believer, he overheard, and he goes, I want you to pray for me too. So then we, we prayed for him. And then the guy in the chair that they were cutting, he goes, can you pray for me too? So we're like, we're just praying in his barbershop. And Fred got a word for that guy about about him being stressed about finances and that God was going to take care of him. And the guy said, well, my wife's having a baby, our first baby next month. And so we've been really worried about that. So we had an opportunity to pray for that. But that was just getting our hair cut in a barbershop because they're stuck there kind of listening to you. You know, like you got, you got open door. A lot of times they'll ask you, hey, what do you do for a living? Well, let me tell you, you know, um, but just it, church, it, church doesn't have to happen just in a church building. Wherever we go, we are the church. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, and when we show up in a, when we go to Kroger to go shopping, God just showed up in Kroger, and we just need to live with that awareness and be be aware that there's people all around us. The last thing I'll share, because I could talk about this all day, and you're like, yeah, you already have. Um, so, the uh, one of the one of the most I don't know um, adventurous things that we've done, and I've had people that don't like it, so that's fine. This isn't for you, but if you're one of those ones that wants to be bold. Um, we've done a thing called treasure hunting. And what that looks like is before you go out in an outreach, you sit down and you pray with some friends and you say, God, you already know who we're going to go out and find. And we want you to give you inf- give us information ahead of time um, about who we're going to find. And so we write down, like, whatever comes to mind. You know, that's where it gets kind of weird. People, you know, I have one pastor say, the devil will give you ideas. And I was like, well, then he's on our evangelism team. I'm okay with that. So, um, you know, you write down, like, glasses, names, um, ailments that they have. I mean, just whatever comes to mind. And it sounds totally crazy, but I'll, I'll, we went out one time, me and a, a group from the church, about 12 of us, we broke up into pairs, and we had these lists with us. And you go out, like, on a scavenger hunt, and you're trying to find the people that match the items. I know this is, like, so wild. So Amos and I, it was my friend Amos again, I had written down fishing and some other things, and he had written down a couple names and all this stuff. And so we're like, it was rain. It started raining, and I'm like, "There's nobody going to be fishing in the rain." You know, you kind of some of these ideas are like that probably wasn't from the Lord. Well, we drive by a park, and Amos goes, "Hold on, stop, pull over." And there's these two guys fishing at the end of a pier in this little lake, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" There's people fishing in the rain. So we and we had cookies this time. We we had a real cookie thing going. And we brought out cookies because we're trying to just do something so we're not just super awkward. So we walked out there. We talked to these guys, and we're like, "You'll never believe what we're doing." You know, we we prayed and asked God to show us people. And um, we said, we, we, I, I wrote down fishing. You know, you show them the list. I wrote down fishing. And people are looking at you like, what? So we started asking them, like, um, you know, for, for some of these, you know, we have anything we can pray for? And they're like, well, yeah, we got this thing going on. So we asked the guys before we prayed their names. And one of the guys' name was whatever, Chris. And Amos goes, you got to be kidding me. Your name's Chris. And Amos had written down the name Chris. He had, like, two guys' names on there. And so he's like, we felt like God led us to you. He get, you know, we knew you were a fish and whatever. And I'm telling you, I don't know how the Holy Spirit works all that out, um, but I've seen where he knows in advance what you're going to do. And it really, that, that'll mess somebody up because it's like you can't make that stuff up. So I like doing that. I don't do it enough because I get freaked out because it's like, um, there's that whole boldness thing. I'm like, that's, that takes probably the most risk to walk up with a scavenger list, you know. But I'm telling you, it works. I've seen it happen. I've seen doors open. Um, and one more story. I told you that was the last one. I got one more. Um, we, we went out, um, handing out pops with our church 
Um, we same thing. We just got together. Whoever wants to go, you know, sign up. And we went out Monday night. We're going to go out and go downtown, and we're just going to we just buy cases of pop and just walk around. Hey, free drinks, and people are like, especially in lower income neighborhood, they're like, sweet, I'll get a Mountain Dew, and you get a chance to share. And our one of our teams, a woman named Linda, was leading. It was like three people. They saw a guy on a bench sitting on the side of the road. They go up and talk to him, a young guy. And he began to share how he had been backslidden and been away from God. And they just, through this time of ministry, they're like, do you want to rededicate your life to the Lord? We can pray with you just to make a commitment. And he said, yes. So they pray with him. When they say amen, they turn around. There's a police officer standing right behind them. And the guy looks at the guy on the bench and he goes, okay, it's time for you to go. And they said, what do you mean it's time for you to go? And, and the police officer said um, that, that, he had, that that young guy that was on the bench, had just he had called the police department to turn himself in for a crime that he committed. And they were coming to arrest him. And so while the police were on the way to pick up this guy, our team came in and led him back to the Lord right before he was getting taken off to jail. And I was like, I don't know how God does that. I just know this. For some, somehow when you position and say, I'm going to go share the gospel with somebody, God will figure out how to get the person at the right timing. I don't know how all that works. I've tried to figure it out. It's impossible. Because sometimes you're just like, you, you, I don't feel super spiritual when I'm out there. I don't feel like some superhero I'm telling you, I don't, you know, we don't have some physical anointing on us, you know, I don't, we just go out there and kind of fumble our way through, but when you're available, God will, he'll position you in the right place. So I know that's a lot of information, a lot of ideas. Um, I don't know if you have questions or anything, we can even do question and answer. You're like, my question is, I want to eat some chili. You got something to share? Go ahead. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I've got. I haven't created them yet. I'm getting two evangelistic T-shirts made for that purpose. One's going to say "Ask me to pray for you," and that one's going to say "Share my story." But um, I, this, this is how crazy I am. I'm actually going to get a T-shirt made. This is just for me. I'm not going to sell these. Um, uh, I'm going to get one that just says, "Give me five minutes of your time, and I'll give you a five dollar gift card." And I'm going to go out and wear it around and have people stop. And if they say, "Hey, I want a five dollar gift card," because you know somebody's going to, I'm going to bring out my phone and say, "I'm setting the timer." And in five minutes, I'm going to share my story and share the gospel with them uh, and then give them a gift card. I think uh, that was just an idea I had a few months ago, but I'm crazy enough to try that and see. And, yeah, maybe it's like selling the gospel. I don't know. But it gives you opportunity to – any opportunity I have, I'm, I'm going to try to do it. But I love that idea of going to the mall. I'll pray that God will bless you with that opportunity. Yeah. So I, I do want to pray one more time. Um, and like I said, I'll leave those touch cards. You, you can get those made, obviously. You can copy them and have them made for the church. Um, the only thing that I ask is if you're going to do it, like if you're going to tip your waitress, like do something crazy because you, you, you have to ask, you have to get them asking the question, you know, what just happened. If you're like super cheap all the time, 
be like, I'm going to give them $3 instead of 2 Don't leave them a touch card because they're going to be like, what, you know, like not a, you have to, you have to wow them, you know, do something that's going to be out of the ordinary. Um, but, and I can get you more of those as well. So let me, let me pray and um, I'll stop telling stories because we'll be here till five o'clock. So Father, I just, I thank you God again for the way that you're moving in this service, God, that um, Lord, I just sense that urgency and, and that, that desire in all of us, God, to, to get out and be used by you. So I pray God, for opportunities. God, I pray for creativity even beyond the things we talked about, that there would just be um, just something that would sprout in people's hearts, God, to maybe as couples, maybe as a family, maybe as a church, God, whatever that looks like, that there would just be this a fresh excitement, God, that we can really impact the community, God. We can impact a life uh, through the gospel. So I just pray for boldness again, for words to speak, and God, that you would just um, use what we've talked about today to, to transform our lives to be a light in the darkness, God. Because we know that the times are short, and we know that people are in desperate need of an encounter with you, and that you 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 primarily choose to do that through your church, God. So we want to say, like, um, Lord, the, the, like the prophet did, Lord, here I am, send me, God. And so that's our heart. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, thank you all. And God bless.